Well may we say, God save the Queen. Because nothing will save... Simo and Redmond! Simo and Redmond are the thong slappers. They're two blokes making lots of noise but getting nowhere fast. Hey everyone, this is Simon and welcome to episode 29 of the Thong Slappers podcast. Joining me as always, except for that one time he couldn't make it and I had to do it with Benny, is of course Redmond, my partner in podcast crime. Are you there, mate? I sure am. I'd just like to welcome back our 2.5 million listeners to Australia's first and only dedicated streetcar podcast. Yeah, thanks for coming. And also back is Paul Gus Cronin. Fetch the gimp. Of course, some Street Machine fame, but also the All Things Bogan Facebook page and stay-at-home bloke Instagram. Are you there, Gus? Did you decide to make it back? Well, of course I'm still here. You've been locking me under the bloody stairs. <laughs> so, for episode 29, we were actually, we wrapped up 2003 last time around, and this time we slipped back to the 1970s. This is always good when we get to go back and start again in the cool decades, and this time around we're actually going to do a bit on 1975. So, are you guys ready to hear what happened in 1975 what the go was what was the status quo hell yeah they would have been around 1975 weren't they the music band I was just talking generally but yeah (laughs) alright 1975 as you would have known from our opener with of course Gough Whitlam he was a prime minister until he was ousted by the governor general Sir John Kerr at the tail end of the year this is all to do with the Australian constitutional crisis or the dismissal as it's more later became to be known now look i don't know really anything about politics and i don't really care to whenever we had to do politics and that shit at social studies in school i used to freak out because i could never understand it it was just far too confusing for me but from what i can gather it had something to do with the fact that the alp had the majority in the House of Representatives, but the Liberals, who were being run by Malcolm Fraser, they had the majority in the Senate. And apparently something to do with Gough Whitlam was trying to introduce sweeping changes that he'd promised prior to the election, but the Senate, with Liberals, were cock-blocking all his approvals on many of these bills. And that, of course, is when this happened on Remembrance Day 1975 and was come to be known as Kerr's Kerr. So that's where that famous quote came from, which was, well, may we say God save the Queen because nothing will save the Governor-General. And, yeah, he was gone. Gornsky. Ah, Malcolm Fraser basically fucking stabbed him in the back. It's funny, to get something through Senate, you have to pass it through a twin-party process anyway with with politics under the, uh, we're under the Westminster democracy kind of thing. So you have to get it through both houses. You have have to get it through the opposition as well. So when you look into it, it's it's quite funny how it actually happens. But um, that's why the Queen can sack the Prime Minister. The opposite of that is having a politician as head of state. And how does that work out for guys like Pol Pot and Adolf Hitler? Well, I kind of, from hearing that, you've made it a little bit clearer to me, and I'm starting to wish that you were my social studies teacher back in school. Fucking hated school. I should have known you'd be all over. Yeah, I didn't know we were going to do this it. sort of shit. No, but but that's what I'm saying. You didn't know I was going to talk about it, but you're all over it. You understand it. You're a very learned gentleman. <laughs> said no, I never... don't give you enough credit for that. What's March '85? Isn't uh, what's March '75? Isn't that a Tirana colour? Oh, um, yes. My mate Jackpot, he's got one, an LJ XU1, March, 
Yeah, March 13. Uh, St. Paddy's Day is a certain shade of green. That's exactly... I think that was 73. All right. They did those. Yeah, something like that, anyway. Queensland politics. Now, every time we talk about we start a new decade or we start a new year and I mention Queensland politics and Joe Bjorki-Peterson was Premier, go figure, nothing ever fucking changes. <laughs> Two of his staff were injured when they opened up a letter bomb that was addressed to Joe. So that's a pretty bad thing. Uh, a couple of sidebars to this. Medibank was introduced in 1975 and the former Postmaster General's Department, which is PMG. You know, you'll see yep. people advertise like old cars and say XPMG. Postmaster Generals in 1975 was split to become Australia Post and Telecom. Hey, wow. what's white and hangs off telephone wires? <laughs> I don't know. That's a primary school joke. Telecom. <laughs> All right. <laughs> never heard. Haven't you ever heard that before? I've never heard of it. I fucking love it. It predates Telstra by about two decades. Oh, <laughs> man, I want you guys to teach your children it's, that. It's it, a great it's one. It's calm and humour. Kicking every box of thong slappers. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on, wait, wait. the Australian Embassy. Let's try next episode and do one episode where we can commit to not talking about cum. Just wait, let's make it half an episode. Let's start off and see if we go all right with that. We can just build up from there. The only way that will ever happen is if you're not on the episode. <laughs> Moving on, the Australian Embassy in South Vietnam was closed and the staff evacuated prior to the fall of Saigon. Right, that was 1975 too. I actually thought that happened earlier, but I was wrong. That's why it's not called Saigon anymore. It's Ho Chi Minh City because they, the communists won. It was a draw. As they say in a fish called Wanda, it was a draw. (laughs) Now, this is the big news for 1975, and I reckon you guys will remember this because you're both car fans. It's not the best news, but you'll appreciate the cool part of it. Which, oh, that sounds really wrong. No disrespect to people here. But anyway, the 5th of January, 1975, the Tasman Bridge disaster happened in Hobart when the Lake Illawarra, that was a big ore carrier like a boat it struck the actual bridge partially collapsing it it actually killed seven of the crew of the boat which is terrible of course and five motorists who plunged their deaths drowning into the actual yeah it's pretty bad you'll remember that the photos and amazing footage of the hq gds monaro and ek station wagon both hanging precariously front wheels over the bridge you have to know and remember that surely yeah kai parish sent us a few photos that we posted on our instagram only only last month that was people say oh really yeah yeah definitely he sent me he was there and he sent us some photos and put up there people say that we've got too many rules and it's a nanny state and that but i mean i remember when the uh, tasman shipping authority took stevie wonder's uh, ship captain's license off him for that i mean that was the last time he ever captained the ship clap clap um <laughs> clap, clap. <laughs> crickets <laughs> all right sounded, australian sounded tv no, it was funny. I just don't know what to just say. Didn't, it was funny, but we didn't laugh. Yeah, thanks for your fucking support, guys. <laughs> I'm taking I'm taking my pants off. Listen to this. I'm naked. This is now a naked podcast. <sighs> Thank God we're not on YouTube yet, Gus. <laughs> Moving on from that, Australian TV switched to full-time colour the 1st of March 1975. Didn't fucking help us much. We still had a black and white TV till about 1980, I think. TV show-wise, This Is Your Life started. Countdown started. And from the US, The Rockford Files and Policewoman, both those shows started. I love Policewoman with Angie Dickinson. She played Pepper, that hot police chick. Great show. And Rockford Files, of course, awesome with his gold... Firebird or Trans Am or whatever it was. 
But as far as actually uh, shows finishing, Division 4 and Arnie Jack, they both wrapped up for Aussie shows. And they actually did an Arnie Jack special. It was called Arnie Jack Introduces Colour. Who, yeah. of course, featured in the movie. Yeah. That he featured in the movie um, Running on Empty. He was one of the coppers. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's right. Big news. Now, this is actually funny and bad all at once, but you're going to love this, Red, because I know how much of a Graham Kennedy yes. fan you are as well. The Graham Kennedy show was axed. That was actually replaced by the Don Lane show because <laughs> on live TV, Graham <laughs> Kennedy yelled that crow call of fuck <laughs> on live TV and he got shut down. I did not, I did not know that. Yep, he did the big crow call, and it was all over, and he was actually banned from doing major network stuff and then, for a while after that. And then so. when he was doing Coast to Coast at night, the live news thing, he did it again. <laughs> That's the he spirit. Just ran, he just ran yell out, fuck! <laughs> Good what sort of philistines are they shutting him down for being humorous? Fucking wankers. Oh, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> now, on number 96, the TV show, they needed to freshen the decks to try and get the ratings back up. And what better way than a home and away inspired bomb blast which killed off four of the major cast members? They had to jump the shark. <laughs> exactly. And I'll tell you what, if I was... Actually, it was around 1975, but if I could remember it, I wouldn't be tuning into 96 to see Abigail's ample bosom, although I would, but... I wouldn't watch the whole show, but I'd rather watch Matlock Police, which she still had another year of in 1975, which is a great show and one of the best theme tunes in the history of Australian television. <laughs> it's true. It's true. Have a listen to it. That's not much to fucking to go on. The um, countdown was the, uh, obviously the music show that was a little better than an ad, basically, Ian Molly Meldrum. Interesting story. When Cole Chisel won their Grammy, Barnes rightfully accused Molly of ignoring him. He goes, fuck you, you ignore we're a good hard rock and roll band, you ignore us. You know? and Molly's like, oh, I'm fucking sorry, man, whatever. Did you see what Barnes and that done at the Grammys that year? Is it, now, what's, what's our music awards, the Arias? Oh, Arias. Yeah, yeah, have okay. you seen what Cole Chisel done when they played? No. Oh, no. I mean, it's a great moment. It's the best moment in Gus, Australian rock and roll. Have you seen it? No, I haven't. Oh, what they did, they said to Cole Chisel, right, oh, well, you guys, congratulations, you game. After being, they just played pub after pub after pub fucking for food, man. They lived in flats. They fucking jump-started cars. They had nothing Cole Chisel, but they were so good. They finally, finally got a number one, so Barnes said, yeah, we could buy a fucking decent motor car. So, oh, and he's a better accent. They played the <laughs> countdown. They played the countdowns awards, and the, and the producer said, look, we don't want you to play live. Just mime it because we lose too much control, and Barnes is like, that ain't happening. So when they come out on stage, Barnes has got a guitar, which is unusual. That, that rings a few a few alarms there or whatever. <laughs> so they start playing, and then Jimmy changes the lyrics and just gives them a spray. He goes, fuck you, Countdown Magazine. Where were you when we were playing the Pier Hotel? Where were you when we were fucking starving? And he just, he, and then he, and then he goes, "You can suck me." And Mossy, and then he picks up his bottle of vodka and has the biggest swig. This is for twelve or thirteen year olds, man. This is what they think. And he just has a big swig on it. Mossy unstraps his guitar and just goes and beats the fuck out of his amplifier. Steve Presswich kicks his guitar down like a full who style, destroy the <laughs> stage, and so they start dropping the. They, oh, fuck, they just lose control. So Barnsley tells a story. They run out and jump in their limousine. They say we were fucking pissing ourselves. So they went, they went down, they went down and put on a party, an after party, 
And then a few of the people started rocking up from Bolly's after party. Then Bolly rocks up and just goes, ah, fuck, I'm sorry, man. That was fucking awesome. If anybody's listening, please Google uh, Cole Chisel Australian Music Awards and watch it. That's Barnes in his absolute raw best in the band, really being fucking maggot. So that was my take on Countdown. The, the, the I don't know, I think I ever watched the TV show, but yeah, while we're talking about Countdown, I'll take that opportunity to tell that yarn. It's fucking history. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. I'm going to look that yeah. up actually after this. I was totally unaware that it, that even actually happened. So very cool, and you can still go and buy it. So you can still go and buy yourself a ticket and see that fucking band, man. Yeah, exactly. Where you make sure you're wearing your um dragon shirt to <laughs> to make the experience even better. Buy some music. It's not a fucking library. <laughs> movies, Australian movies. Picnic at Hanging Rock. That was a bit of a weird one. Sunday Too Far Away, which I have this really weird feeling I did in high school as the book. The Man from Hong Kong. That's actually oh, got some yeah. good car stuff in it. Yeah, I'm going to keep that as an Australian movie, though it wasn't filmed here. Or maybe it was, who fucking knows. It actually had a Tirana in it. We posted a photo of a Tirana with flames on our Instagram recently oh, from that movie. Did you say, Gus, that it was filmed in Australia? I'm pretty sure, yeah. It, I can look it up if you like, but um, I'm, I'm pretty nah, sure it was. That's right. I watched the actually watched the uh, car chase scene just before we came on. So, yeah, it sure as hell looked like Australia. So Australia. Yeah, good stuff. Australia, mate. Australia. Also, Scoby Malone, Jack Thompson at his best. He plays a detective in this erotic mystery <laughs> which surrounds chicks and cars. That's seriously, it was an erotic mystery. That was how it was labelled. He's got chicks like in his friggin' apartment complex in the pool everywhere. Hold on, how can you, and, uh, how can, you, how can uh, eroticism be non-mysterious? I don't know. I guess it depends. It is the 70s. I guess it depends what they were smashing down at the time. Yeah, and his sidekick in that movie, his sidekick in that movie was Shane Porteous, who you ah, will I know. remember fondly from a country practice, because you <laughs> love that show. I fucking love country practice. I wish it was still on. We need, a, we need to bring country practice back, and the kids need a war. Maybe not so much on the war. Right. US movies. It was a friggin' big year for US movies, which then became our movies also. Jaws. Oh, how can you not know Jaws? One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Oh, that's so great. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Have you read the book? No, I haven't. Oh, it's always... Time, time to be sedated. Nurse, Nurse Ratchet. Of course, Jack Nicholson. He's, uh, Jack Nicholson. Uh, what's his name? Randall McMurphy. He's a redheaded Scotsman in the book. He's a crazy little fuck. It's so good. The book finishes with a frontal lobotomy, of course. Nurse Ratchet. She's a fucking mean and nasty bitch. <laughs> and Jaws, has there ever been a more known instrumental uh, like music score, whatever you call it, than the Jaws? No, I want to argue no, that, that, that sells Rocky. It'd have yeah. to, yeah. On top of that, you had the Rocky Horror Show, the original one with, um, what's that chick's name? With the She's still hot now, like so many years later, she's still smoking hot. Jimmy like, um, so <laughs> I had to get good help, eh? <laughs> Oh, I can't remember her name. She was married to Tim something or other from Shawshank Redemption. Anyway, I can't remember. I'll substitute in this in right now with words and sound that doesn't sound like I've recorded on the podcast. Ready? Here we go. Susan Sarandon. Pancake. Yep, that's her for sure. Death Wraith. Death Wraith. Death Wraith. Oh. Gee whiz. Oh, I'll watch it. Next up, we have Death Race 2000, which is kind of like a weird sci-fi type of movie. It's not a bad movie to watch. It's got a sort of car stuff, which is good. Another great car movie with Paul Lamatt, who was actually, of course, uh, John Milner in American Graffiti, oh. was Aloha, Bobby and Rose. That was 1975 too. And 
A weird extra movie is Escape to Witch Mountain from 1975 about these sort of weird psychic kids, but I never actually knew that was the movie back in 75. They did, uh, maybe Disney did one probably, I don't know, six or seven years ago, which features Dwayne Johnson, a.k.a. The Rock. And that's a fucking great movie. I don't care how much of a kid's show it is. It's a fucking great movie. If you haven't seen it, do yourselves a favour. Check it out. He has a tough Mustang in there. And the woman who's in the movie with him, Carla, someone or other, she's great too. So, yeah, that pretty much wraps up my wrap-up of 1975. And um, you guys can talk if you want. Uh, 1975, I guess we can go to a, a racetrack in central western New South Wales. And on name, guess its name. Uh, Bathurst. Mount, Bathurst. Mount, Mount Panorama. It's fucking Bathurst. It's like when that fucking, what's that big, tall fucking idiot from Top Gear yeah. calls it Bathurst? What's that guy's name? Jeremy Clarkson. Oh, yeah. How's good, how's yeah. good some of the stuff they do on the RA Malou and shit on that? Yeah, and this thing is faster than the Stingray Corvette. <laughs> anyway, uh, oh, yeah. Peter Brock and uh, Brian Simpson won in a SLR 5000. And one Bathurst. Uh, Bob, nice. Bob Morris and Frank Gardner, they've got them listed in the L34. I don't know why that's, that's listed that way. But Bob Morris is the guy. I've seen him recently on V8 Sleuth and a couple of stuff that... Uh, what's Noonan's first name does? V8 Supercar commentator. Can't remember his first name. I went to school with his brother Aaron, so I want to call him Aaron Noonan, but I forget his name. He interviewed Bob Morris, and he's always got teary eyes. You know one of them guys that always look like... Oh, you mean old Noony? Yeah, Noony, old mate. Oh, yeah, Noonie. Oh, yeah, me mate. Let's call him Pockets. And Colin Bond and Johnny Walker came third. Interesting thing somebody told me about the A9. The A9X wasn't racing that year. Something interesting told me you couldn't order the A9X with the L34. All the A9Xs were delivered with uh, stock. I don't know if this is right. It's what I heard. Delivered with stock 308. You couldn't get the big engine in them. The high-spec engine. Is that real? I didn't realise that. I don't know if that's that true. I don't know if that's thing. true. But apparently the, L, uh, the A9X is not delivered with an L34 engine. The L34 is a big bang. The, the, the good engine. But yeah. Okay. Nine, nice. 1975. Gus, what do you got? Uh, not much. Uh, Death Race 2000 was is my highlight from 1975. Volkswagen Carmen Gears could not be any more exciting than uh, the ones that are in those movies, in that movie. Testify. Yeah. Agreed. And uh, <laughs> seeing Sylvester Stallone when he's like, must have been like friggin', I don't know. 17 years old or some shit is hilarious he's a powerful actor i watched rocky for the first time maybe since it come out you know since it, i didn't realize he wrote it yeah that's the it's thing you just think of his some dumb you know action guy but he, he wrote that awesome movie yeah he's he's uh, definitely worth a watch He's very good in it, actually. He's uh, yeah, it was, it was a great film to, to watch. Rocky. Definitely worth a watch if you get a chance. Yeah, Rocky was the first movie to ever use Steadicam as well, which is uh, pretty cool. What's that, mate? Oh, really? What's that one? What's Steadicam? Yeah, it was when uh, so the cameraman straps the camera. Oh, sorry, the film camera. Exoskeleton sort of thing <laughs> that you know takes all the, the walls out. You can buy an Osmo now for five hundred dollars that does it. And it's just holds in your hand. But back then it was like a two ton device that you, you you run around with. And in fact, you can actually see the Steadicam in some of the shots in the movie. Okay. Um, I'll have to have another look at that movie, I think. Yeah, sorry, sorry, man. I was fucking thinking, what the fuck? <laughs> steady cam, is it the camera? I'm like, well, I use steady cam. I wonder what, I wonder what he does now. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, just just uh, it's a variable cam timing thing. I should have said that. That's all. Right. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I'm, I'm going to allow that. Obviously, 1975. I think Led Zeppelin at the peak of the power. They done a maybe an English or maybe American tour. Then definitely very yeah. very good cam. Nice Zeppelin. stuff. Well, I seen someone on social media the other day saying something bad about Led Zeppelin. Motherfuckers. Um, they deserve no, they deserve nothing better than to be fucked by one of your eels. Oh fuck me! <laughs> it's not my hey. eel, right? Baba's eel. <laughs> what is wrong with that guy? He's been posting me heaps of stuff. Is it? He's dare almost dare me to post it. I'm like, yeah, we don't really need to be out front of Street Machine. You know the scene in um, Top Gun where uh, Goose and Mav are out front of the office about to go in for doing that flyover. That's Simon and I rocking up the street machine when do something fucking retarded. And Simon's going, have you, got, have you got that phone number of that truck driving school? And I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> hey, if I find the power vested in fiction, I was to make up something to say, okay, you can take something you currently have or something you currently know back to 1975 and you could vice versa bring it back, what would it be? Me? I would take back to 75 i would go and knock on the door of chrysler australia limited and you know hopefully 1975 i might have just enough time to make them change their mind um i'd take them a vb commodore and an xd falcon just to show them Uh what the fucking competition we're going to do to them and uh while they were still back in the dark ages uh plastic bumpers and and uh, decent, you know, suspensions and all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, you, you compare a CM, CLCM Valiant to uh, a VB or XD Falcon, it's just it's chalk and cheese. It's like a, the Valiant's a 60s car still, you know? And fucking so awesome. <laughs> yes, but at the top, Oh, sorry, that wasn't the path you were going down. But, sorry. but man, imagine how awesome it would have been if they just, you know, like not dropped the ball in 1974 and just kept doing the same thing. Oh, they're, only 12 years, yeah. they're only 12 years away from the Magna. <laughs> Please consider. The Fagna. Mm. But uh, I, I think the VB yeah. Commodore, the 5-litre, man, that's a small car. I've, I've said this before, I won't bother repeating it. It's, it's very similar weight to a Cortina, and it's a 5-litre. So, I mean, you get one of them, you can yeah. get... Yeah, I've checked the specs. I don't know how true this is, but you could get a 308 T400 and a 10-bolt in a VB. That's a wicked car. Yeah, well, the VB's not much yeah. more than a Tirana, weight-wise. I did read somewhere it has a very similar floor geometry as far as sizing, like wheelbase, wheel, wheel, <laughs> wheelbase, wheel length, uh, unsprung weight, and it does have a very similar yeah. uh, weight to a Tirana. What would you uh, bring mm. back from 1975? Well, in 1975, in fact, in January of 1975, I have a photo of my auntie and myself, and I was just a little baby, and I was sitting on the bonnet of the Alvin Purple Charger. Oh, wow, from the movie. Yeah. Where it stacks out the bonnet yep. and stuff. Yep, I should, I'll chuck that up Sweet. on Instagram or something. But, um, yeah, there's a photo of me sitting on that on the bonnet, and uh, the reason I was sitting on the bonnet was my dad sort of worked in the, the movie industry promoting films and stuff since forever, and he actually drove that car down from Sydney to Adelaide to help promote the latest Alvin Purple movie. Oh, and really? That must have been one of the highlights of his life besides you being born, Gus. Yeah, I, th- oh, yeah, I don't know. I think he liked the Charger a bit more, maybe. <laughs> oh, I wasn't saying no, it was the other way around. No, he's not, he's not a car guy. If he was a car guy, it probably would be. <laughs> yeah, and no, I've got... Dad uh, did the promotional circuit and also helped out by... Um, they did some uh, fundraising for Cyclone Tracy. 
as well, which had just sort of devastated Darwin Christmas Day, 74. So yeah. got a photo of the, the charger doing a fundraising thing, sort of shaking the, the bucket down at Moana Beach, which is just my local beach down the road here. So Sweet. I would take that car back to present day. I was hoping you were going to say your dad was doing a fundraising burnout because I would have chipped <laughs> in if I could have. Yeah. Uh, question. Dad, actually, the, driving that car down from Sydney, uh, Dad, they were sitting on the, I don't know, I, I think they were speeding a fair bit you know, to get back quickly to Adelaide and a, a magpie or something or eagle or some sort of fucking big bird flew straight through the windscreen. Um, Holy shit. And they were doing warp speed, so they had to drive the rest of the way without a windscreen. So. <laughs> <laughs> Fairly memorable <him. laughs> Mate, hear the induction whistle of those eight fake trumpets hanging out the bottom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe they'll whistle. It'd be like blowing yeah, on the top of a Coke bottle. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah. Right. that's right. Fuck, that was good with headphones on. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry I mean, not the sorry. dog just fucking went and jumped off the roof <laughs> <laughs> hey that was only because Gus didn't accept its advances hey. that wasn't anything to do yeah, with the whistle yeah, yes he did fucking rash has only just cleared up too uh, but Buster keeps asking nice. he doesn't ring he doesn't call Little fucker. Have you got a vice versa there, Redmond? Yes, 1975. Uh, Muhammad Ali and uh, Joe Fraser rumble. What is that thriller in Manila? Not a great fight, but yeah, uh, Ali got the TKO over him. What I want to take back to there is a few gentlemen. I take back Tim Kennedy, Yolo Romeo, who is the soldier of God, and John Jones, three of the baddest UFC fighters in the world, as in good UFC fighters. So I'd like to go back Ali and... Um, of the heavyweight contenders for the championship in 75. I want to take it back and say to Yola Romeo, who is the soldier of God. I just like saying that. You can fight Tim Kennedy in front of these guys. And I just want to watch Ali and uh, I just want to watch him go, what? He's killing him. <laughs> yeah, that is very, very true. Put a wager down while you're at it. And from there, I want to uh, go over and get a typewriter and bring it back and go to a journalist of my own today's modern, say, political journalist and go, here's a typewriter, here's a passport, here's some shorthand, go and do some shit. Here's a pair of shorts and socks pulled up as well. I was watching that. Short sleeves with a tie. Straight from the geography teacher's desk. I uh, seen something, I was watching one of the channels, uh, news channels on YouTube, I think it was, and there was an Australian clip on there, it was absolute garbage, but I think it was a, a commercial news, which is crap, and had a young lady, obviously, I won't call her a journalist, she's just a news presenter, and she's standing in a car park, it looks like it could be at a chemical plant or something, it's in Australia, it could be just, could be Holden, it could be at the front of Holden, she's got, she's doing a hi, you know, this is whoever on, on, on site for Channel 9 News, and she's got a high-vis vest, a hard hat, gloves, safety goggles, all that shit on just so she can be in the car park and someone's called, someone from America is, is this the world's most dangerous fucking car park? God, <laughs> just, it's just getting oh, I, I, I know, exactly. If she wants to go in that car park and do that scene, they'll go, oh, you've got to do an induction. And I can just see it. Yeah. Because someone would get in trouble if she didn't. That's all it is. Because everyone worries about what everything's doing except for what they're actually trying to do. It's all the behind-the-scenes shit. Yeah, production's in the ass. But that's my. That's what I bring back, the typewriter for Journo. And I'd take them three gentlemen back and make them punch on and choke each other and all that wonderful stuff they do in front <laughs> of the heavyweight. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Simon, could you please present us with a fraction of fiction? Rightio. Now, 
I would go back to 1975 and buy a John Goss XB Falcon in Apollo Blue. John Goss XB was released to commemorate John Goss's win at Bathurst of 1974. Funnily enough, I don't mind these cars, but lately I've found myself really liking them. Recently, I discussed John Goss XB Falcons with Ben Atkinson and Chris Langtree from 782 Motors at the Gold Coast. G'day, guys. And I found myself really liking these cars. I don't know why. I just something about them is really cool. Look, the whole supercar scare had killed any chance of performance. So you could buy an XB Goss, which looked cool. They had a cool white interior. They came in those two colours, the blue and white or the green and white. But they just came with a pretty much a bog stock 302 Clevo and your choice of an auto or a manual. They made 700 of these cars in total, 41975 and 31976. They were based on the base model Falcon 500 hardtops. 371 came in blue. 329 in green and interestingly enough the guys told me that John Goss himself wasn't a fan of the green he just loved blue cars he wanted them all to be blue but FOMO Co stepped in and decided that they had to do a number in green so look I'd be happy with either colour, but I'd prefer a blue. I'd bring it back to 2018. I'd whack a massive set of wheels under the back. Of course, you're going to roll your eyes when I say auto drags, but that's just what happens. I would put some kind of tough, badass Cleveland hanging through the bonnet with velocity stacks, whether it be supercharged or tunnel rammed. I'm not fussed as long as the hardware's hanging out the bonnet. I'd leave a chin spoiler on the front and the big thing that always gets changed with Gosses, which I think is a bit of a shame, they all came factory fitted with a single headlight grille, but a lot of people put the sports grille with the twin, like the spotlights in there as well. I'd leave it the single headlight, did you, just to be a little bit purist on that. Did you know that um, some of them were actually XC Falcons? I did not know that. Yeah, so they, no, they I didn't. XP, the, XP wow. fronts on the XC Falcons to, um, yeah, to move them Make up more. the numbers, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, oh, I think sweet. you can tell by the rear indicator on the quarter panel. One of them's horizontal oh. and the other one's vertical. So, the yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's very interesting. I never, never knew that. But yeah, that is interesting about the um, about those indicators. That'd be that'd be cool with a cleaver if you put an extended oil filler cap on it. Fill the fucking And as that, so that's what I'd do. I'd go back to seventy five and bring that back to present day. But from present day, if I could go back to nineteen seventy five, I would take a shitload of rust proving back and I would share it around to all the Australian car manufacturers Good to idea. put in there. Yep. Put in their models. I mean, look, coming up to models released from 76 and later, of course, there was a, a, a steel crisis happening across the world at that time that went on for a number of years. And because there was such a shortage of steel, panels and all the rest of it were being actually stamped in far thinner gauge than they were normally. And this is why you see cars like XC Falcon, CL Valiance, the later Holdens, things like Minis, like you look at a Layla Mini compared to a Morris Mini, the later stuff rusts to the eyeballs uh, because the steel's a bit thinner. Well, this is what I've learnt and talking to a lot of people who were in the know uh, and the rust proofing just wasn't there. That's why you'll find those later models always rust out more than you will find the earlier models do. Like say, compare an XA to an XC. XAs are rusty cars, but XCs were horrendously rusty cars. I learnt this myself building my Disturbia panel van. Interestingly too, I actually had to do a uh, sunroof fill on my Disturbia van to put a smaller one in there, and I managed to buy myself a roof cut just of the skin, and by 
I also fluke later on, I managed to get a third cut. So between the three roof panels for CL vans, knowing they only made 1959, all three steel roof panels are a different gauge. Wow. How's that work? Yeah, that's right. So it's a pretty interesting thing, that's for sure. Madness. It is madness. It is madness. So that's pretty much my vice versus for 1975. So, I didn't know that yeah, uh, we would have been making steel in Australia too at that stage. I don't know how we actually went for making steel as to what we use now in industry. Obviously, if the dollar was right, we would have been buying it as well. Possibly, yeah. I don't know the ins or outs of it. I've just spoken to a few people about this over the years, and they all have sort of said the same thing. People who worked in the factories or were in the know at the time, and it wasn't until I started seeing different gauge steel and then thinking about how, you know, it is the difference in cars, the way they rust between the later 70s years to the earlier 70s and the 60s. You can have rusty cars, but the later stuff seems to be horrendously rusty. And especially having owned both Morris Minis and Leyland Minis, the later stuff just was rotten compared to the early stuff. It's a bit of a different thing too. Moving on, let's do something we haven't done for a while, which is Domestic Bliss. Redmond, have you had any action happening up there with your various projects in their various state of repair? Well, I have actually. I've managed to put a big banger kit on the VK. It's all finished and ready to go. Now I know you're lying. Yeah, I am lying. No, I've, I've just Domestic Bliss for me at the moment. What I've got to do, my very first step, is to clean up the fucking shed and the back balcony where I've, I haven't really done I looked at a photo when I built my Husseberg bike at about five years ago my shed was immaculate so the very first bit of domestic bliss and i'm going to take before and after photos this is my actual shed we don't have a shed you've just said i've got a little we just live in a our house best described as like probably a cottage and the it, when it was built if you wanted the fourth bedroom you could tick the box or if you wanted as a car garage you know you can back your car and barely open the door and then run run out so when i built the vk originally i had to push it out on the driveway and build it push it back in push it back out so that actually lends you to build a car a certain way i, I kind of treated it like a work day when i originally built it three 12 hour days in the driveway having just you know 45 minutes for lunch each day that's a specific way to build a car as well that's you know, a good way to do it that's how you get stuff done yeah that's, that's definitely I, I tend to treat cars building of cars me personally as a mechanical experience i don't have that gne you know i could put a blue sticker or flare it i i treat it way too much like i'm a mechanic even when i finished a friend states when he he had his you've seen it the wb states and that ugly thing with the small block he was involved in a big argument online trying to get a set of wheelward brake package for it i mean it was a pretty stock 350 all the grill was pulled apart and he was waiting on hold and getting some new old stock clips and clamps and then i just went and got the whole car from him and luckily all i had a spun distributor so i done the ignition timing put the grill back in with just a nut and bolt kit that i had here which is like actually i bought it from uh ktm so i just put all the grill everything back together got it running put the old brakes that he had back on it with new pads and off it was going to tend to treat street cars like a mechanical project it's a weakness and it makes things quicker but um what my domestic bliss is i've got my V8 Hilux, which I've still got. It's just the engine's back in the Commodore. I've got the radiator, the pipes, everything for it. I've got the VK with the 308 in it, which all runs. It's all good. And I've got my SSU, which unfortunately is off having the cabaret built due to some flood damage. So really, it's a time for me. I need to figure out the next step in what I'm going to do, whether I put the 308 back into the Hilux and LS1 into the VK, whether I keep driving the VK. It's a real... 
I feel something's changing. I haven't used the VK for a couple of years, to be honest. I haven't enjoyed it. So I don't know whether to buy like a Volkswagen Beetle for eight grand and go and have fun in that or whether to buy an F100. So yeah, my domestic bliss is just that whole lot of bullshit that I just raved. I haven't touched a spanner. Look, it is difficult to sometimes choose which car you're going to do or which car you want to do. But in saying that, like say with your VK, it isn't uncommon for cars to run their course. Like yeah, I, I had the same issue with my six-cylinder VG hardtop. Like I've had that thing since I was like 17 so it's nearly 30 years but I'm guilty of not driving it the way I should or using it like I do it's kind of almost the last car I I choose to drive and I just think that maybe that car has run its course in my life I don't know. That's a very good one. Maybe I just... I don't have any mechanical sympathy or attachment, or so, so I would have thought to cars. Uh, to sell the VK, would be a pain in the ass because I just can't, like say, deal with people come around, it's this, that, it's the other. I know what it's worth, and you could probably give it to somebody else in the family, which would be a good use because it's got you know heaps of potential. It's, it's, it's all together. It all runs. It all goes. So I could maybe pass it on to somebody who's going to get out there and enjoy it a bit more. It's a tough call. I definitely feel something's yeah. changing. I've been looking at some cars, like even a, a Dodge Phoenix. I've seen a good one. Or a Volkswagen. I don't know. When I bought the blue VK as a roller, this is the same way I felt. Something's got to change. You've got to get in there and do something. So it's exciting as well. And, yeah. And the thing is, too, is that at different points in your life, different cars can mean different things. But I think for this point in your life, you just have to stop and you have to think to yourself, what fucking car is it that I want to drive and enjoy? Don't do the whole thing of, like, choosing second best. Yeah. Okay, within reason. If you say to yourself, oh, well, I want a fully restored HK Monaro, but financially it's not viable, you've got to choose within your budget or within your reasoning. What car is it that I want to drive and enjoy and try and choose that car and not choose second best so in two years' time you go, oh, fuck, I wish I'd chosen my first choice, not settled on second best, because you'll always come back to that. The VK, so. the VK to LS1 project is just there for the begging. You look when you jump online, some of the vendors, here's the kit, here's the engine, off you go. The VK itself mm. is just there. All I need to do is go out and put a battery in it and then bang, I'm back on the road, back in business. <laughs> Wait till I get it hopping. Anyway, what have, you, what have you got going on in domestic bliss? Simon, like the flymo? He's so crazy, he's mowing the lawn in the bucket with the flymo. Getting covered. Sorry. <laughs> Are you right, mate? Ah. We don't have work cover, so please don't injure yourself. What'd you do? Ah, drop my fucking juice. Better than dropping your guts. <laughs> At least that's not much. Yeah, okay, sorry, I've got it. I've got a tea towel in here. Don't try to think it. It's all the dog's fault, mate. <laughs> you pop it up with the dog. Mate, <laughs> a little bit of domestic bliss here. Not as much as I'd like, as always, but that's pretty standard, really. My Mr. Juicy van, there's not really a lot happening with that. I still haven't put the rear springs in it, the helper leaves, to give it more rate, so I can actually completely see clouds only out of the back window. <laughs> but one thing I have scored for that from actually a hashtag mutt from Instagram, I'll... Daniel Cox, a.k.a. at Coxy3008. Uh, I've actually bought a letterbox scoop of him, the old school 80s letterbox scoop to fit to Mr. Juicy. So he was running that on his tough-as-nails black Holden panel van, but he doesn't need it anymore because he's just running a street scoop with carbies hanging out the bonnet. So great work, Daniel. So that's on the cards. I'll try and get that fitted up soon. And apart from that, that's pretty much that car done. Disturbia, nothing's happened. Just been driving it. The Hemi Coupe, nothing's happened. I just have to get a battery so I can fucking start the thing without jump-starting it. That's what puts me off driving cars sometimes too, is when you just can't be fucked. But lastly, and most importantly, Domestic Bliss, Honey, the EH Holden St. Lucie's car, of trying to stick to my get this thing on the road and registered by December 31st of this year, as you know. So 
I've been trying to get the rust repairs done in the front subframe. It's sort of funny, this front subframe at some stage in its life has been hacked out to fit a bigger radiator. Now for anyone who doesn't bother going back to episode one and actually listening to our podcast from the very start, which I don't know why you wouldn't fucking do that, it'll make life a lot easier for yourself. Lucy has an EH Holden that was hit by a red light running drink driver about a decade ago and it wiped everything off from the windscreen forward. So we're rebuilding this car to get it back on the road, hopefully for the end of the year. In saying that, we've had to replace the front subframe. So what I'm doing now is, yeah, doing a little bit of rust work. Amazingly, it's rusty around the front, like kind of near where the bumper goes on, but the main rails are all mint. So this is why we're sort of persisting with it. And also the fact that it's been hocked out pretty badly to fit a massive radiator so I'm sort of redoing all that doing all the rust repairs as welding in fresh metal there and also rebuilding the front section the radiator support panel where it actually mounts the radiator at the side so been plugging away with that making some pretty good progress which has been nice I've actually really been enjoying doing the metal fab on that car I haven't done that sort of work for a good few years now so getting back into it I've been enjoying the crafting side of it and actually trying to remember how to weld again. That's been a big bonus. Probably the dumbest thing I've done, it's interesting, we were talking about the story I wrote in the March issue of Street Machine magazine about losing the bearing, that time I lost the BMX bearing. The other day I was driving old days, took it for a spin to work, get it all hot, put some fuel in the tank, that sort of stuff. I was driving it going, man, this thing, the fucking steering box is rooted. I really need to, I've never changed a steering box in all the years I've had it. I thought, that's next on the list. I'm going to get myself a, a steering box and get that driving sweet again. I even drove it home. I went upstairs, fucking around. I was on eBay looking at the Rico boxes. This guy down south does really good exchange steering boxes. So I thought, oh, I'll get one from him. For some reason, something happened and I didn't buy it at the time. I got sidetracked doing something else. And just last week, I walked outside to take it for another drive and I noticed that the front tyre was flat, <laughs> as in underinflated. So that's your steering problem. <laughs> so there's my steering problem. Both the front tyres had about 12 psi. <laughs> so, so I drove to the servo, pumped them back up to like 35. The fucking thing drives mint. So thank God I didn't go and spend money on a steering box. So I never would get around to fitting anyway. But yeah, that was an easy fix. Well, the thing is you take, Remember, you take them wins when you get them, don't you? <laughs> Yep, start with the simple things first, people. Learn my dumb lessons. you got to. Uh, lastly, for Domestic Bliss, had a bit of a win, actually, but you're just going to shake your head and when you think about how anal I am about certain things to do with building cars. As you know, Lucy's EH Honey runs 13 by 7 jelly beans on the front, the US races, the little fat ones with heaps of offset. And to be able to put a big tyre under the back to make use of the, the flared guards it's got, which were a bit of a hangover from the 80s but look cool, I've been trying to get a pair of 14 by 8 US Indies in early Holden pattern. Yep. That, of course just has not come to fruition it doesn't matter how many times i advertise wanting those wheels people send me pictures of 14 by 8 inch oranges or you know like just the normal jelly beans but i really need that deep dish us indie look where they've got that big nice big flat section of rim it's about two and a half three inches wide before you even get to the dish and that's to try and match the front wheels you know i want i want it to look right but of course getting these in early holding pattern has just been impossible so 
what I ended up doing was buying a pair in Ford pattern and I took them to a wheel guy, Dr. Wheels down there at Yatla. Brenton is a really good guy. He's always helped me out doing wheels and he'll just happily sit there and let me come in and ask him stupid questions. So I took down these Ford wheels and said, listen, mate, is there anything we can do to somehow fill the hub holes on these and redrill them to early Holden? Or do I need oh, to wow. change the rear axles? To... <laughs> yeah, mate, well, I know, but I really have this thing about having two different spare wheels because the front's HR disc brake. It's the front's the 13-inch jellies. So I really was hoping to get the same stud pattern all around. And he said, nah, mate, you can't do it. It's not a viable thing and dangerous. So I was going to convert the rear to Ford pattern, which is smaller than HQ. So I can still fit it on the EH factory axle flanges. There's enough meat in the bone to do that. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. But then I had this crazy idea. Early Valiant stud pattern is actually smaller than early Holden. Early Holden's five on four and a quarter inch stud pattern, whereas early Valiant is five on four inch. So I thought... If I get US Indies an early Valiant stud pattern, the hub hole's nice and small, and I can get the actual stud pattern stepped out. Yeah, Brenton right, can do that. Still he can, he weight, can actually, yeah. yeah, he can step the stud pattern out to early Holden because it's actually bigger, so there's plenty of meat on the rim to do it. Yep. Right? So Dickhead here has started searching the world because in the US, of course, and Canada, uh, their Chrysler's over there up to 972 run that small, or the Valiant's run that small stud pattern. So Dickhead here has just imported a pair of rims from Nova Scotia in Canada. Oh, what? Just to get done to early hold. <laughs> oh, no. Just to get done to early hold and stud pattern so I can have the same spare wheel <laughs> front and rear for Lucy's Jesus EH. Christ. So, look, Canadian dollar and the Australian isn't far off so it didn't work out too bad yeah, what's the shipping like so mate the rims cost me two hundred dollars canadian and the shipping was about 250 oh. so 450 it actually worked out to be less than 500 dollars australian pretty that's pretty good yeah and the bonus is is that these rims that i've got i'll post some photos when they get here i'll give them a clean up uh they're actually never been used they're brand new but wow. they had They've been drilled for bead locks, so I'll get Brenton to clean them up as well while he's at it. I had to do the same thing with Disturbia. The 1510s on that had been drilled, so he just welds them up and machines them off. So that's the lengths you go to. You know what I... So I can't wait. It'll be worth it in the end because I actually have the rims that I want. Sorry, that Lucy, that St. Lucy wants. <laughs> and I'll, run, I'll be able to run a 265.50 or a 245.60.14. 265, please. You know, yeah, I'm thinking 265 50 tucked under the back to make use of the flares. You know what I find crazy about that whole thing? You know, like you, on the internet, you went through, you went seeing your mate, can you convert them, can we do this, can I drill them day and night up and down on the internet talking to people? But yet, you know, that's just what you do for cars. When you go down the street, you come out, oh, I couldn't find the low-fat milk at the supermarket, or oh, how'd you go with that fucking window? Oh, I couldn't find 3.8 aluminium screws for the back window, but oh, this is a car, I've fucking limitless fucking passion and time for that. It's cars. Oh, because cars are cool. I'm doing house shit. It's just boring. It's car guys right there. Tell me about it. (laughs) Guys, that pretty much wraps us up for episode 29 of the Thong Sappers podcast. So, how... Big thanks. Mate, Gus, it's been fantastic having you on for two becoming three, becoming four episodes. So thank you very much for joining us. And we've got to thank St. Lucy and Queen Deb, as well as uh, Simon Telfer from Street Machine Magazine. We're going to miss you, Gus. Oh, I'll, mate, you can't get rid of me. I'll see you at Drag Challenge weekend. I look forward to yeah, it. Yeah, I'll see you there, guys. Up, and hopefully we can have a go. Where, where, where <laughs> we meet? Simon, what time picking me up, Simon? Gus, you and I are going to send Redmond so many selfies. Oh, all right. What about dick pics? You don't want to get into that war with me. <laughs> no. I was just going to send yours win. back to you. That's all. 
I don't mind. I could look at my cock all day. It's lovely, man. It is fucking awesome. I'd love he to look behind, but I can't it. even see it. But thanks for having me, boys. <laughs> no worries. You're always welcome, no Gus. Thank you very, very much. And uh, I'll just work out your bills. So what was that? That was two lemonades, four beers, two Toblerones, Street Machine magazine, one leg hump. Yeah. No worries, mate. We'll get the bills here shortly. Jesus Christ. That's like I told Queen Deborah that I'm buying a Dodge Phoenix. I'll show her a few different ones. I'd have, look, I'm buying this, that, and She goes, how much is it? I said, I've worked it out. We only need to sell four and a half million thong slapper stickers. Which are available on our Instagram page. Check them out. Yes. Check them out. And the dick pics as well. Oh, you, you still won't let me do that, will you? <laughs> Fuck. No, never. All right, guys. Uh, Reb, and I'll chat to you in episode 30. Yep. And Gus, I look forward to speaking to you at Drag Challenge. Hey, you two gentlemen. Love very much to both your families and take care. Say good day to Queen Deb. Give the dogs a pat. We'll chat to you guys soon. I didn't get that backwards. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'll see you. Wankers. See ya. Bye-bye. <laughs>
a VK Brock. Obviously, it's a lookalike, but always wanted a VK Brock with Simmonses. So, I mean, yeah, I've got it. Fair enough. The VK and the Simmonses are probably you know cheaper now than they were back in the day. But um, also, just they've got a, a daily driver, just the VEU. I really rate uh, the V8 Holden at the moment. Well, what used to be the V8 Holden, they're now obviously defunct in Australia. But I mean, having a just a Holden V8 Ute, I can't believe that that that, that is what Holden is selling as the Ute, or have been selling as the Ute. It's got a six litre six speed in it. That's uh, fuel injected or yeah. alloy. I mean, the state of cars up until this year. Well, only a couple of months ago, yeah, really, but, isn't it? Yeah. But what it does yep. for us, though, I think, us guys that are into it, it does leave us with a lot of cars now. So I think street machining, street cars in general, are in good hands because, for instance, 68 model won Grand National at the Summer Nats this year. So using that maths, basically, we've got another 50 years of the cars that we've got now, like the, the you know, the VE back to the, even, you know, the VL. Yeah, so sure, definitely. They're getting I mean, beat up now and they'll be available for the guys come along behind us, guys and girls. Well, look, I think that's a really good point. And the thing you've got to remember is, too, is that cars, of course, are cyclic. Like, whereas, say, you know, like people maybe in their 50s grew up cruising around in the back seat to Holdens and all the rest of it. And with us, it was probably 70s cars like Valiants and HQs and that sort of thing. You know, the newer generations coming through have had that experience, but in different cars, whether it be young kids in the 80s with VKs and VLs or into VRs, and, you know, through into the 90s. It's stuff that uh, I guess that they're familiar with. And, I mean, that's probably a lot of the reason why things like, as in pure vintage cars, like not hot rods, but just vintage cars themselves, kind of are so cheap to buy now because, unfortunately, I don't want to sound bad saying this, but a lot of the people into pure vintage cars nowadays, they've probably passed on, you know, and give it 30 years' time, people probably aren't going to care about charges and Monaros like we do now. You know, it's, it's that continual rolling cycle so... I think it's definitely a thing. you just got to get in and enjoy it while you can, that's for sure. While we can still drive them as well. We haven't been gulfing off the road yet, but I'm sure it's going to happen eventually. Yeah, with uh, the vintage car crowd, I guess, getting smaller, maybe they are getting more boutique too. Like you say, that maybe that um, genre has passed on a bit too. Maybe the guys that are now doing it are um, out of the industry. Well, I think too, I think in a lot of ways, a lot of the vintage stuff now is almost treated like art pieces. You go to some of the shows and, and the brass work and the amazing attention to detail, they aren't just obviously cars and, and fantastic history of cars and motorbikes or the rest of it, but they're just amazing machines to look at. You know, it's only been since, like me personally, as I've got older, they've actually started to appreciate the work and the absolute, I guess, genius that went into the early creation of vintage stuff, whether it be cars or, or motorbikes, and how much things have developed from there. I guess the kind of thing is how, you know, in that time, the old saying, a lot's changed, but nothing's really changed. Like, a lot of the, the basic, very basic parameters are still there. But um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how our cars are looked at, you know, in 40 years' time. And I guess that's almost something to look forward to without wishing your life away. But in saying that, I kind of look forward to seeing how our generation covered in tats look in 40 years as well. <laughs> so yeah. that'll be something different too. Yeah, wake up and go, I've got a flame job on my arm. Brilliant. I'm 60. That was <laughs> great when I was 20 and rode a BMX for uh, for work. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, yeah, something, you know, a BMX doing an air air jump off your nipple or something. So maybe that's the next one you can get. Give that I a try. I think we should be... Um, I think as you made the point the other day with the shape of cars, I'd, something I've never considered, I guess a, an SS and an XR8, which are the two kind of street cars that are going to be pulled apart in the future, are pretty similar in shape compared to some of the thoughts you had around like a Charger or a, or a Tarant. Yeah, I think definitely um, that's obviously as, as things like aerodynamics and you know economics of vehicles, producing vehicles and what the customer base of new car buyers wanted, 
Cars definitely went away from just being artistic flair in the styling studio. Like, say, you line up an HQ Holden next to an XY Falcon next to a VH Valiant. All the cars are markedly different, and you can see the difference. You can pick them a mile away. You can pick what's what. Whereas these days, I mean, you know, I'm guilty of mistaking, you know, some cars for really embarrassing versions of other cars because they look very, very the same. And that whole slippery shape with aerodynamics and materials that are being used and may having to comply with so many design rules, it kind of makes everything look, uh, um, it makes everything look very similar, which also too, it surprises me that people don't go out of their way more to make cars look more individual, like was done back in the seventies and the eighties with the early street machine and especially the custom panel van phase. Um, people didn't want their cars to look like anyone else's. They, you know, specifically went out of their way to, you know, make their own personal choice of car look different, which is cool, I think, and I love that era, and I'd love to see people do that more these days. I think the majority of the panel yeah. vanners and the early guy, earlier guys were dead set uh, home builders, <laughs> exclusively 100% home builders. They may have made help with bits and pieces, but um, when I look back at some of the old magazines and read, read they're just so home. Like, as, as far as woodwork in the back of a van, you've probably seen them. It's all like, wow. Uh, have you ever used a wood saw on your streetcar? Wow, that's where we come from. The guys were doing it. You know, they were building. You know, I've seen, I haven't seen one for 20 years, but I certainly have seen plenty of tape boxes. (laughs) Seen guys that used to make, particularly for like road trucks, make themselves a box for their tape out of wood. Now, you go to Kmart these days and you just buy a a plastic throwaway Tupperware container for two or three bucks and fill up all the shit anyway. But the guy guy at home in his shed with his little saw and and bits and pieces, it's uh, street Definitely, definitely come a long way as far as you read any of the magazines and there's so much stuff you can get you can buy a four link rear clip you can you can do a lot at home i think i think you could really uh build yourself a fairly big car at home on a fairly uh, modified yeah subject. for sure and that's the thing too like i remember as a kid going to a panel band show in the early 80s and there was an xc falcon there that actually had like a brick archway <laughs> when you opened like the barn doors the leading edge it actually had bricks grouted in there as part of the part of the actual interior and that's what someone had done, you know, as part of that customising phase. And I just, you know, you just don't see things like that anymore. It'd probably make it easy to lower the back of the, the van as well. But, you know, probably the, the craziest one was, I think it was about maybe an XY era ute. And it had the rear window was like a bubble window, like you'd see, say, on vans. But it actually was done like a fishbowl. So it had like all water and stuff in there as well. Like people just let their imaginations run wild. And they sure as they weren't bagged out for it. It was actually considered to be something really awesome. So yeah, a lot of, um, you, could, you couldn't get as lofty with it, with it. But I mean, there is a lot of, of art in that style of thing, isn't there? There is really is. You, you couldn't show cars to me. If basically art, I like them. Like, there's not one genre of street cars that I don't like. I don't care if it's Victor Bray's door slammer or if it's um, you know a HR with small block in it. There's not one genre. I think we get tied up in the genres a bit in, in street cars. I think, you know, pro street, super street. If it's got doors, it's a car. I couldn't care if it's got a blower or if it's got a tub rear end. You know, where, where you fit in the genre is where you feel most comfortable, I think. I think definitely, too. If it still looks like, for the most part, even though I'm just talked on the back of talking about customising, if you can still recognise it or say that it's a particular make and model, then, you know, that really is, is enough for it to fall into the scene as far as I'm concerned. So, you know, it, it's got to be a good thing. But... You know, speaking, I guess, of the 70s and especially the custom thing, I guess kicking off with us, probably a, a good year to talk about is 1973. I mean, 
for starters, that was the year both you and I were born, so it seems to be an appropriate choice. But what were you up to, mate, in 1973? Can you remember? Can you even remember sitting in the crib? <laughs> nope, I can't. I was in the, uh, the tropics of Singapore, actually, in 1973, and I was zero. Actually, in four <laughs> days, I will be zero. Now, what about you, Simon? What was happening in 73 for you, buddy? Mate, I think it was more my parents that were really busy in 73. You know, looking back to sort of my birthdays late in the year, and my birthday is pretty much nine months on from Australia Day. So I'd say Australia Day 1973 was a pretty busy, not that I really want to think about it, but I kind of, I guess, need to acknowledge it. It was probably a busy time for my parents. Um, yeah, no doubt my dad probably pulled the smooth moves on Australia Day. He'd probably been out, had a couple of tallies or something and slept on a bit of Old Spice and here I am. But, uh, yeah, so as far as that goes, not really something we would remember a lot of, but I tell you what, it was actually, there was a lot of change happening that year, both in Australia and around the place. And it's amazing when you actually start to look into specific times and, and dates, how much change there was and, and how many, you know, I guess when you look at it now, like iconic things happened in that time, which really, when I think, I think 1990, like there's that famous saying, I still think 1990 was 10 years ago. And that's very true. I still think 1970 wasn't that long ago, but looking at us and looking in the mirror and when the hair's falling out and going grey, you realise that, hang, hang on, we're like 44 now, time is marching on. So I now know what it feels like to be on the other side of that equation, I think. But in Australia, I mean, Gough Whitlam was Prime Minister and, you know, that's such a, just seems a world away from the way things are now. And, I mean, Vietnam War, that ended in 73. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff making head, made, like major headlines through that time. I mean, in Australia especially with the car base, like the car culture side of things. You know, we were smack bang in the middle of an uh, like an energy crisis with fuel and stuff like that. So, you know, so I think times are definitely changing, especially for the manufacturers and, and for the car scene in general. Yeah. For someone yeah. like me, um, was just total. I just imagine walking into either a record store, you know, like Led Zeppelin were doing the USA. Actually, ACDC was their first year. They mightn't have had a record out, I don't think, by then. Probably a couple of singles. Bond was still singing for them. Imagine going into depth in 73. Yeah. Oh, I don't know whether I want the XU1. You know, should I shoot around a Ford and get myself a new GT? Or <laughs> <laughs> Mate, I probably would have been broke and still trying to buy rusted out FJ Holdens or something like that in 73. But you, I think it was definitely the tail end of, of, of a, an amazing time. I mean, you think about the, the, the huge erection that was the American muscle car scene from the late 60s and early 70s was starting to soften off, you know, with their gas energy crisis too. And a lot of the V8s were really, I guess, being pushed out the window. And, I mean, in Australia, well, in 72, you had the, the supercar scare where Evan Green printed that big thing in uh, the Sydney paper about, you know, all these, these high-performance vehicles that Ford, Holden and Chrysler were, were planning, like the Phase 4 XA, and you had the, well, I guess the V8, uh, like XU2, was it the V8 LJ Tirana and then um, Chrysler with their V8 RT they were looking at? That too, I mean, that that just changed the whole manufacturer's car scene overnight as far as muscle cars go. And I, I think at the end of the day, that probably is what spawned a lot of your sports-type inspired vehicles, things like the, you know, like the Charger Sportsman, the John Goss Falcon XB Coupes, uh, the Ellie Monaro and Lady Years stuff, which really uh, wasn't really... Well, they weren't performance vehicles anymore. They were just pretty much changed as far as their trim goes. You know, they'd have some Larry trim or wild stripes and colours. It was more just a physical pack, not – didn't have that punch and that muscle that we'd grown to love with things like, 
you know, HKT G Monaros, the early charges, the early, and of course Falcon GT. So I think things were definitely changing through that period. And, you know, not always for the better, but I guess it just shapes the way the future rolled on, doesn't it? 73, definitely. It was uh, definitely an interesting time for Australia, I suppose. A lot more, a lot more innocent back then, I suppose, when we've, we've just lost the V8 again, basically. So it's, it's history repeating itself with, uh, with uh, Ford and Holden not producing the V8 anymore, you wouldn't have thought that in '73. You couldn't have put um, you couldn't have put a million dollars on that. You wouldn't have also thought that not far from down that line, a Sierra had been Bathurst to four cylinder. <laughs> I mean, it was a bit, yeah, but yeah. Um, yeah, I think your dealers uh, had a lot to do with what cars were kind of selling and what was hot back then. You know, there was a bit more dealer base. You could walk into a dealership and there was your salesman, you know, probably smoking on his Marlboro. Probably had, <laughs> uh, probably had his um. Yeah, for lunchtime, you couldn't do that now. You get your head cut off. But um, yeah, exactly. Yeah, '73 yeah. definitely was a uh, an interesting year because it was year zero for you and I, I guess. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, hey, look, a big, massive thing. You know, McDonald's had actually only been in Australia for a couple of years, and their first Melbourne store was open in '73 as well. Did you realise that? <laughs> that was um, 1973. Yeah, Melbourne, their first store was yeah. So that's a long time ago. Now it's hard to believe that. I've been around for so long as well. It's it, you got to work out where McDonald's sits in, in the culture, basically, for, for Australians. It has replaced. I've seen it myself firsthand. It has replaced the, the fish and chip shop. You know, you go and get some chips wrapped up in a bit of bit of paper, a bit of salt on them, and you know, um, and newspaper of that yeah. too. You know, you'd actually get it in newspaper. I remember itself. driving the Blue Mountains with my mum when I was a kid. We'd all jump into a, a Volkswagen Beetle, and uh, we go <laughs> over the Blue Mountains. So you can imagine Mount Victoria and a Volkswagen Beetle. It probably had two birthdays on one trip. But um, mum used to pack us uh, toast <laughs> and and a thermos and bits and pieces, and it was quite common. You know, see people pull over having a cup of tea and stuff. Now it's just too easy. You just you know wheel over and go into McDonald's and. Our our uh, our Volkswagen had a cup holder. It was me. <laughs> I was the youngest kid, yeah. so yeah, I hold the cups. You know, I get the, I get the job of holding the cups. I don't think Volkswagen Beetle hasn't even got seatbelts in the back, has it? Probably not. No. If it was pre seventy one, definitely it not. Caught so. on fire on us. The back seat bridged the battery out. Oh really? Of course, was the batteries right at the back seats on those too, isn't it? Yeah. Still yeah. is. I hate to say bucket list because it places me in in uh, generation Y, and if you were here, probably punch me in the face for even saying bucket list. <laughs> definitely, <laughs> definitely one, of the, one of the cars that I'm definitely going to get. Hey, speaking of '73, what do you want to take from 1983 and put back into 1973 and buy some? Oh, okay. Now, I'm probably not too much good with a 10 year shot, but can I? Can I like? Go in a little bit of a limb here and just sort of say two things that I'd love to do with 1973. Can I, like, bring something yep. from 1973 to now and then maybe go back to 1973 and do something? Yes, definitely. Would that yep. work out yep. right? Um, look, I guess if I was going to be able to go back to 1973, I'd probably go back and kick uh, Evan Green in the nuts for his supercar share story. I mean, it did kind of change the landscape, and especially, too, if you took a VN back to him in 1973, let's say a VN Series 1, like just a V6, just an executive, just some like, you know, those things were like a talk monster. I'd love to take him back and say, well, listen, mate, you can jump up and down and say, oh, you want to say about people, these, you know, factory-built cars are going to kill people, get him in a VN Series 1 with 14-inch wheels and take him for a run in that, do a burnout from here to the end of the street and back a big peg legger, and he'll see that, you know, within, what, 15, 16 years, how quick, your base model family car could be. It was virtually the, you know, the equivalent of the HQ for 1988, wasn't it? VN. That, that's so exactly that's right. probably some of the stuff around uh, cars. Like we had uh, HR bits and pieces, old Gemini's. I mean, the big, the big ticket was 100 miles an hour. Can you do 160? 
you can get in a Corolla, a 10-year-old Corolla these days, and the thing will get faster than a 186 HR with a four-barrel. You know what I mean? The, the cars. Yeah, yeah definitely. definitely. Times have changed. Evan Green and the balls. Yeah. I think you'd have um, you'd get a few likes for that time, I think. I think everybody. <laughs> you'd give one a bit. So that's yeah, <laughs> and if I could bring something from 1973 back to now, it'd be like a, a Ford Landau, you know, the, I guess the coupe version of an LTD with a, the fold-up headlights and stuff. They're, they're probably in my top five of all-time cars. And, of course, they're just so hard to get now and they're so expensive. If, if I could bring something back, I'd probably I'd probably bring back, yeah, definitely a Ford Landau. I love those things. That'd be, you know, on my top five list, like I said. So quite that'd be cool. Landau, um, when I was... It, my uh, brother's mate had one, a 4V top loader, uh, nine inch, two six fives on the back, just black, and just I think they're all black. Were they twelve slots, by the they way? Were. Like we talking a few years yes, ago? They definitely, they were definitely uh, twelve slotters. Plus, uh, last year or the year before, at uh, the car show up here at Townsville, I'm not sure which car show it was. But it wasn't, I think it was the one for Old Holden's car at the showground, the Landu one top car. It's black. It is absolutely them cars have so much real estate, and to paint one black, black you, you're kind of backing yourself, aren't you? Oh, definitely. Look, my, I guess, like love affair with Landau started in the early 80s. This was about 82. Um, I grew up in the Gap in Brisbane, and there was a guy who lived down the road from me who had a really tough XA, like a, kind of like an electric blue-coloured XA GT hardtop. But his best mate had, uh, like, it was like a kind of a maroon with a beige-type vinyl roof, Landau. Yep. Same deal. It had the world's widest 12 slotters on the back. They're probably like 1410s or 1412s with huge tyres. And I remember one night on Halloween, I said to him, mate, you know, can you like spin the wheels? Like being a kid of seven or eight, can you spin the wheels? And this guy dropped the hugest burnout in front of me and I was just standing in the smoke cheering. It was like, you know, like 7.30 at night, just cheering. I was just gobsmacked. And the thing I remember clearly more than anything else He'd actually gone to the trouble of putting bulbs in the centre section between the tail lights. So as he's taken off through the smoke, you can just see this big long tail light strip lit up. You know what I mean? Yeah, like in that centre section, he'd put extra bulbs in. And um, oh, I just thought it was the coolest. And I've just been in love with those cars ever since. But never owned one. But um, definitely, definitely my my top five. That's for what sure. Are the so, other, what are yeah. the other four? Oh, uh, um. Definitely, look, no particular order. You've got the Landau for sure, as I've mentioned. The other one would be like a 1941 Willys Coupe, but definitely the Gasser. You know, yeah, like yep. I love I love that Gasser, the whole Gasser Wars of the 60s and stuff. Um, going on from there, it'd be a 68 Dodge Charger, probably the Bullet Influence, you know, like 440, 4-speed, four triple black. I could definitely do with one of those in the, in the garage. Um, then I'd probably be looking at an EH Holden panel van, being of the fact I love panel vans. An XY panel van would be awesome too, and even an HT, but I'd do them all 70s style, you know, jacked in the back, big chrome wheels on them, you know, tramp rods and all that sort of stuff. That's probably more than five, but you get the gist. Maybe I can just tie those panel vans in together. And, of course, Valiant panel vans. I love hey, those um, as well for something a bit different. Hold on. I'm, I'm not your wife. You can't tie two cars. Sorry, mate. <laughs> you uh, you tried that on. It was worth a shot, but that's Redmond, not your wife. So no, no, you have to separate them two cars. Uh, that was my next question. With the with the charger, are we talking? Yeah, uh, I know the answer to this before. <laughs> We're not talking factory rest, rest hour, are we? Talking? No, no. Look, I, I I do look as much as I'm not really. I don't look on old cars as being like classics in inverted commas, which seems to be the rage these days. A lot of people wrecking classics and all that. I would definitely go. Again, probably a bit of a 70s street freak with it. You know, like I love, again, jacked in the back with a huge set of Craig RSSs, 
Um, I even love like uh, Dodge Daytona's here with the wings and the big noses on the front. It'd probably be a bit of a mix between, you know, like a, just, I guess something a young bloke in the seventies would buy and do up like the way he'd do it up. You know, like I said, just, you know, even if it had a bit of primer here and there, I wouldn't care. I just want the thing to look like a bit of a seventies, cool, tough, just a street tough car. I think it'd be awesome. So yeah. I'm thinking as you describe it, I'm thinking proper street car, just what I call a, yeah. a proper yeah. street car. Yeah, exactly. That's probably you've just probably answered my question in in two words that I took thirty to say. But I guess you know, for you, what would be like your you know your fiction fraction? What would be the thing you would swap between seventy three and eighty three? I'd uh, go to nineteen eighty three and get a VH wagon. I think it is. You could get a three hundred eight, get the five liter with a turbo three fifty factory wagon for some reason. Maybe because it's got the towing ah. capacity or something. So anyway, I'd pull that engine out, the engine and training out, and actually the ten bolt as well. I'd take it to 1973 yeah. to the end of the factory line and one of the next year ones that came rolling off. Uh-huh. For the boys, maybe some fish and chips. And as, as long as they weren't, you know, too busy listening to, you know, ABBA or whatever's on the radio in the, in the factory back then. <laughs> I'd definitely <laughs> take the 83 drivetrain out of the Commodore and jam it back into a Tirana. And actually, if I, yeah. if I could uh, use the fiction at the end of that, that line again, if I could be standing at the end of that production line, I would get myself an XU1 and I'd give it to uh, Mark Hayes. You know, Mark Hayes with the LC, the big block LCs had... Yeah, the 454 yeah. one. Yeah, it's been around the scene for a long time. It started in panel bands, actually, interesting enough. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, I'd definitely like to go to the end of the factory line and give that XU1 straight him. Not, not, not so in 30 years could sell it by three units in the Gold Coast. So he could actually... He would be probably... Two or one years old, I'd say, that in '73. But I'd have it for him. I'd love to see it now. I don't, I don't want to see yeah. it with the correct sticker on the radiator, and it'd probably have some fat lock wedge in there. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, I guess then again, it'd probably be a bit late for 1973 cooling in the engine too. But I think that'd be awesome. He'd come up with something pretty cool, and it's something that we, I guess, is is not so much anti-restorers or in any way not anti-classic or anti-restorer, but. You know, there's plenty of restored stuff around. It'd be great to see people do something crazy like that. And especially with the time, like his his light blue or acre coloured Tirana he's got, how much that's developed over time. You know, that'd be pretty awesome to see what else he could do. It's been one of my favourite cars yeah. for a long time, but I'll be guilty of calling nearly every car one of my favourite cars. I think the main <laughs> thing with our, with our in, well, I don't know, is it a sport or is it industry or is it our hobby, our past, whatever street, is to celebrate the success of what we've done, not, not bag someone for shaved door handles or bag and bits and pieces, but really celebrate how good we are at doing things now. We're just, you know, tons of places and a good thing we do. I, just to, if I'm off on the wrong tan- tangent here, but I have had a chance to, I just scope a few people who actually are restored, who do their cars and restore So just to get their side of it, probably yeah. place myself streetcar, like my 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 genre or what I like is streetcar, so it's not so much restoring. But um, my brother, for one, he's, he's somebody who likes the restored side to have a car pretty much correct and when, when we break it down and we talk amongst us i think it's these guys in the country like we all we grew up around bathurst and our brother's older than me they spent yeah. so long with these old cars old bits and pieces doing a lot of actual repairs as well as you know repairing the car so much as well as modifying and i mean you know i remember seeing him have gearbox out a million parts all over the ground and this is this is in bathurst on a sunday so there's no super cheap auto there's no dealership to go i mean you have to fix it i mean the thing has to get fixed so I think they spend so long just the car changes a lot. It doesn't have much OEM stuff on it by the time. Well, it was 20 years old before they got it. It was probably 30 years old by the time they got their old FJs and bits and pieces. And they just, in the youth, they had to patch them together and they didn't really modify them greatly. And now it's, it's, it's come the full scene. What he likes doing, or what a couple of his stories, they like having access to the parts, like it's a look like it should, you know. Whereas with his HR, he put floor shifter in it and 
you know what, we probably didn't even have a grinder. We probably, you know, had a hacksaw and chisels and bits and pieces. And, and now he can go and buy the correct shifter with the correct with the yeah. correct boot, with the correct linkage, with the reverse switch. All the stuff is non-standard yeah. on his, say, HR by the time we, we fogged it around. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, did you guys did you guys wear wheat sacks to school and have bare feet? Did you, like, have to share one thong? I was, just like, um, oh. Huck Finn and Tom Stoyd. I just did not describe their raft <laughs> adventure, or did we lose Stop Talking Cars? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's um, so cool. <laughs> Barry, something that was pointed out to me only last year at that same car show, Barry, a friend from Bath, has come up, and he's a GT guy. He's got an XR GT. And he loves, he loves that thing. Yeah. I had never noticed before when we're looking at a car at the show, he pointed out to me, he goes, look how good the paint is in between the doors. So when you open up the doors, you know, the door jam? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. He is being a car guy. And I'm like, huh. <laughs> oh, cool. So now when I look at cars, that's something like, I don't, my car is a terrible example. <laughs> but I mean, there is guys that are into it for that scene. And that's, you know, just trying to understand restorers. And that's, that's where they fit into it, having access to the good parts and having the thing. To me, there's, I'd always like going and talking to the, uh, the guys at shows, but there's four or five cars that are exactly the same, like factory trans. I'm like, yeah, they're cool. A friend's got a hatch, a yellow hatch. You've seen the photos, I think, definitely, definitely 90s. Yeah, stuff. and we'll pop them up on our Facebook page too, by the way. Yeah, I'll definitely get those on. Jelly there. beans, and it's got the bite gear stick knob, black bonnet. I think it's color-coded bumpers. And I was talking to him the other day, and he said, oh, yeah, I've got to get the paint fixed and where they roll the guard. Somebody, you know, into a little bit here and there, and and he said to me, and the interior is a bit faded, and I just kind of stressed to him how important it is to drive it as it is. Just enjoy it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Just enjoy not, it. Just get out. Yeah. I, think, I think the enjoyment of cars get lost, gets lost a lot of the time with the obsession, and that, that is the thing. And I've, look, I've been guilty of it myself. It's like, oh, man, sometimes you think, I just can't be bothered going to the servo, because every time I take one of my cars out, it needs to go to the servo, and it just seems a bit hard. But then once I actually get out and drive it, I love it so much. You know, I enjoy it. And if you're ever thinking about selling your car and you're really not too sure whether you want to or not, take it for a drive and I guarantee you'll come home and the thing's not going anywhere. Yeah. So that's always the, the surefire way to, to tell if you want to, you know, if you're ready to sell or not. That's yeah, for sure. That's, so. that's the enjoyment in a car. Uh, me and my brother and nephew, obviously, we're, we're pretty tight. So I think we can, <laughs> when we, well, he built that V8 Hilux for me. We had so much fun in that car, just going out the back roads out here and just beating the absolute shit out of it. And even a friend of mine, Hoggy, has got that uh, 215 GDS. So what's that, make it a VR or something? Yeah, it's yeah, it's be about that era. Yeah. 350 in it. A few years ago, he put a pro charger on it, pulled it apart, and it sat in his shed, and in between starting the project, uh, work changed for him. I mean, his yeah. budget kind of got chopped there anyway, won't get too far. But the car was pulled apart in the shed. It just became a bit of a drama. And him and I having a chat one day, and he, and he said it was just so much fun, that car. It was just the GDS he has. Me and the boys would go cruising there. We'd have fun. It, yeah, the rear spoiler's a bit chipped here and there, and the interior has had more urban in it than, than Scotty Taylor. But it, um, <laughs> it was more fun for him. And that's what I'm trying to say. A car is fun without having – you don't have to have the actual pontifying. So I'm being guilty of pontification, I think. I'm, yeah, but your car can be – any car can be fun. You, me and my brother and nephew can go and jump in it. A three thousand dollar XR6 thing goes like snot anyway. The single pegger and go and have fun. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. You know, that mate Shane's got that farm out there. <laughs> got a couple of graded roads. We're probably pretty good getting out there and beating cars up on it. But that's the fun in cars. Yeah, I'm rabbiting on. Mate, nothing wrong with rabbiting <laughs> on. Hey, um, it's funny, you know, like just sort of thinking about that and thinking how much things change. You know, like talking about 1973 and, and cars that were new and, and, and cars that be around. Like, I just can't fathom buying an LJ Tirana that's brand new. I can't even fathom buying one that's 10 years old, which is sort of not a position I was in personally because I was only 10, but 
even at 15 years old, like, they weren't really that old a car. Like, one of my good mates, he bought a VKX police, one of those yellow highway patrol things. And just talking to him the other day, he bought it in 1990, so it was only, like, you know, four or five years old. And it just yeah. it just seems hard to imagine that that's, you know, the way it was. And you look at, say, Bathurst in 1973, like, they were brand new. You've got, you know, with that, you've got... Um, Alan Moffat won an XAGT hardtop, and he was, uh, I think, Ian Gagan, one of the Gagan brothers, was the guy piloting in the car with him, and he came first. And you've got Brocky, he was in a uh, an XG1 Tirana, and that was actually the year, 73 was the year that um, Doug Chivas ran out of fuel. Have you ever seen that footage of Chivas actually went as far as he could? Then he had to actually push the car up the pit lane to get it into Brocky to refuel it. Have you ever seen that? Wasn't that- what year it was. I have seen that, yeah, where he's pushing that. That looks like a well yeah. it? <laughs> oh, mate, it does. He, he's obviously just so exhausted because, you know, he's manhandling this thing around Mount Panorama for however long, you know, and he's he's obviously exhausted. He's pushing the thing up pit lane, and you see he finally makes it to the point, and Brocky just does the big full-on shoulder just to get him clear and gets himself in the car. And Look, they did end up coming second, and from that, they did end up finishing on the same lap, I believe, as as what um, Moffat and Gagan did, which of course is a testament to Peter Brock's you know driving ability as well. But it's just it's just funny to imagine those cars being brand new and some wide-eyed, starry-eyed teenager seeing that and going, you know what, I'm going to go to Holden and buy one of those. That'd be, you know, that'd be pretty. That's just, I think Alan Moffat. And no, I know Alan Moffat was, and it's not that long ago. Alan Moffat was Australia's first paid professional race car driver. Yeah, pretty much. I think that was back in the days. I'm sure all the um, nitpickers will correct me, but I'm pretty sure that's in the back in the days of when he was running that Mustang. Was that like sort of 69 or 70? Yeah. I think that it pretty much fired up from then. Um, so, yeah, definitely. He, he's he's had a, like a massive career and, and definitely been one of these drivers who's, you know, kicked a lot of goals and, and had a lot happen, that's for sure. And um, it's, it's sort of funny. It wasn't until I was thinking about it, reading, you know, and, and remembering things about, like, the XA hardtop. They pretty much jumped from XAs maybe to XCs, like with the, the Cobras, and pretty much jumped the XBs altogether. Again, that's from bad memory. I mean, look, when I was a kid when all this was happening, you know, in the late 70s and stuff, I thought HDT on the Tirana spelled hot, and I thought that was just the best thing ever. I thought, oh, man, that Tirana's hot. That's what it says, but it wasn't until I was probably in my early teens that I actually was told that it was HDT. It didn't matter that it had Holden Dealer Team written there, and it should have been obvious, but that memory for me as a kid watching Bathurst was that the Toronto said hot, and that's just what I, I thought was the coolest thing ever. absolutely swear with no positive, with absolute positivity, so did I, Simon, and so did my friend Gus Rerick, definitely. We had hot written on our, on our school books. I think he wrote it on his <laughs> yeah. I don't know when we discovered that it was, um, it was HDT, but, yeah, it was... Uh, we're definitely guilty of that as well. I mean, we're country kids. That's uh, yeah. spelling and, and literature and and, uh, and grammar's not that high on a streetcar's. Uh, I've got a, a little nephew. He's actually my nephew's son, little Brock. He's about five now. I think he starts school next yeah. year. Yeah. And I've been teaching him yeah. his letters. They said, oh, Uncle Redmond, can you, you teach him letters? So I've been teaching him HDT, VK, XY. I had to teach him numbers, so I taught him 186, 202. So, yeah. But, uh, he's not allowed to uh, hang out with me before school anymore. Oh, I was going to say, he, that kid's going places with, uh, you know, training like that. But I guess, you know, as much as we talk about a lot of the new cars kind of from that time, the custom car side and especially the hot rod side was still booming. I mean, it's, you know, the hot rod scene in Australia had been 
coming forward in leaps and bounds. You had a lot of, you know, quite a number of dedicated magazines for that. But the actual first Australian, um, like the Street Road Nationals, were held in Naranda in 73. They had 250 entrants, which was pretty cool. So that was like another landmark thing that happened back then. Um, you know, on top of that, with Hot Rods as well, American Graffiti was actually what? released as a movie too, which is just such, you know, such a timeless, timeless, you know, classic movie. Like everyone who's into cars will be aware of, if they haven't already seen it 500 times, will definitely be aware of American Graffiti as the movie. That's for I like sure. the fact that it's got actual hot cars in it. It is like, watch it with the sound down, it's got actual hot cars in it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, look, the Foul for 55 is cool as, of course, John Milner's, whether you, you know is it is it piss yellow or pure green deuce coupe like um and and funnily enough you know uh that actual movie was based on the pilot of happy days like the a pilot of, was done for happy days i think it was around 71 or 72 and then of course ron howard was in the pilot and when george lucas saw the pilot for happy days which wasn't actually going anywhere i think they maybe did just that single episode as part of a bigger a bigger show george lucas thought that ron howard as he was playing in um, in Happy Days, would be perfect to have a role in American Graffiti, and so of course American Graffiti was made. The, it was such a popular movie at the cinemas and theaters and stuff like that. That then spawned Happy Days to be then made as a series because it got that interest back in the whole fifties and sixties scene. So it's kind of funny and ironic how you know Happy Days influenced American Graffiti, which then influenced the proper full run of Happy Days afterwards. So. It's kind of interesting too with with that sort of stuff. How things can come and go like that, and just be, and they both like. I mean, American Graffiti is such an iconic movie for us, and of course, Happy Days, especially our generation growing up with both of those things. Um, it's amazing how I guess they 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 uh, piggybacked each other to to great success as as the time went on. You know, that's for sure. That's, the but, thing with Happy Days that I don't quite understand, obviously, you know, from television writers' point of view, is Ron Howard is Richie Cunningham, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, definitely. In in happy days, yeah, six one, six two, maybe. He's a tall guy, a lot, lot long reach, like a lot of reach on him. And what? Yeah, it's so, yeah. about a five eight. You know, he doesn't look top <laughs> reach. I'm going to back the rang. I reckon if there's a full on stink, so I'd have a proper punch up. I reckon he'd do him. Eh? I reckon he'd suit the Alphonse. Yeah, look, you're just saying that because you're a ranger yourself and you're always going to side naturally, as I understand. But for the Fonz, mate, he just had to click his fingers and. You know, like some like beam would fall off the roof of Arnold's, or his motorbike would fall on him, or something. He'd have some plan, mate. Yeah, but see, maybe know, maybe it doesn't Richie, become that cool for Richie and you know uh, what's Ralph Mouth? He's a ranger as well. He's got a heap of freckles, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, he's the fool. He's definitely the full ranger, Ralph Mouth. Yeah, he actually had a really cool hot rod in Happy Days. You know that Model A yeah. roads to pick yeah. up. Just never got to see a lot of it, unfortunately. So, um, apart from the opening credits, but that if I was ever going to build a hot rod, that style's pretty cool too. It's probably been a little bit done to death. In years since, but I can understand why. But then again, I'd love a Milner coupe too. That's, like, that's just that's such that a great shape. And what is it, a Milner? So much with that. Yeah, John Milner, you know, in American Graffiti oh, had that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah the five window deuce coupe. And, you know, <laughs> that's that's definitely, I think, something that would be cool to cruise around as, as well. course there's no secret that you and i we actually do a fair bit with street machine magazine with various contributions and that sort of stuff but i think that street machine magazine is not just something we're associated with now it's been like the horsepower bible for both of us since we were kids i mean you know at the end of the day we both grew up reading it before well and truly before we had anything to do with the magazine but you know um 
I'd really like to sort of talk about you know, the latest issue and just get your opinions. I know you've got, man, as far as reading magazines go, you are probably the most conscientious, thorough reader of a magazine I've ever met. So, you know, we grew up with things like Street Machine, of course, Performance Streetcar, you had custom rotter, custom vans and trucks, but um, have you actually had a good chance to thumb through? Actually, that's a really stupid question because I've just gone to say how prof- proficient you are with reading magazines. You've probably read the, the, the January 2018 issue probably 10 times over already, have you? I have read it a few times. Um, the, the funny thing is actually with magazines are dead, right, it is an absolute hobby for me and with Street Machine, I just do uh, bits and pieces. I don't actually, I'm not one of their writers or anything. But um, I was talking to Mitch Lee from ADB, and I think I mentioned it to Simon as well from uh, Street Machine. With with a magazine, I think people are quick to bag it out, the actual magazine as well, because they're just not educated with it. I think it's important with a legacy magazine, which Street Machine is, so is ADB and if you have an Australian magazine, you know, Women's Day, for instance, they're legacy. They've been around for a long time, Wheels. I think it's important to contribute to them, even if it's just a photo, a yarn, a subscription. I mean, I'm not here to sell anything for Extreme Machine. I have actual no financial attachment to them, never never had any attachment to them. I am absolutely guilty of being obsessed with the magazine. I really enjoy it, and it, I have enjoyed it. Yeah, mega fan, yeah, definitely. My whole yeah. life. So, I mean, the current crew before them, everyone, you know, I've really always enjoyed street machines at times when I've had no car. There's been times I've just had – I've lived in the city and just had a, a push bike BMX <laughs> Um, I've always bought the magazine, even when I had no car. So I've always really uh, been a fan of it. Very important how you read how you read Street Machine. Uh, I get a bit frustrated when, obviously, I, you know what? I've probably got honestly four or five Street Machines in this whole house. I just am terrible because they're very utility for me. I take them to work. I take them in crib huts. I down the road. My mate, I drag them down to his shed. We have a yarn. I leave them at nephews. I cut photos out of them. Me personally, I've probably got honestly less than less than half a dozen magazines here because they just end up in my youth, my toolbox, they end up all, all over the place. So the main thing for me is when I show somebody a car in a magazine, right? They just click open up any car. The first thing they can do is say, oh, "I don't like the wheels, or it's the wrong colour." <laughs> it gets me so frustrated. I think the proper way to read Street Machine is to read it five or six times during the month because a car looks totally different on your fourth view. Most guys who don't subscribe to the magazine, only going to look at each car once, you know, probably pick it up at the crew button, have a bit of a look and say stuff like, oh, it's a money pit. But people who subscribe or people who are owners, builders, or, you know, even owners, will um, yeah. don't get what I mean. The car, when you first see it, like a good good example, just to go back one issue, is the blue uh, EH wagon on the front of uh, December 17th. Yeah. You have to have a look at that car a couple of times. The photo on one page doesn't do the seat justice, but on the next page, the photo actually interpret a lot better how the seats look, you know, it sort of makes sense. And what maybe you didn't like the wheels on the first view, but after four or five, you know, looks at the magazine and each article, you go, yep, I get it. And I, I actually opened the yeah. magazine. The first thing I do, I do read every single word in it. From, I mean, from the Shannon's ads to the, to the, you know, readers. Readers' rights are one of my absolute favourite sections. But anyway, the first thing I do is I look at um, the staff list, you know, just see what's happening there. I know it's owned by Bauer and bits and pieces, but just have a look at the staff list, see who's on the move, who's new, who, what's going on, who... As soon as I see old school in the uh, anything, I swear, as soon as I see old school written anywhere on the front two or three pages, I look next to it and see it's uh, Simon Major. <laughs> yeah, well, that's where my heart is, you know that. But, you know, in the January issue, I, I must admit, when you're talking about, you know, what I guess floats your boat, I'll be brutally honest. Like, I've never looked twice at XB sedans. Like, I don't mind them. You know, I never really thought anything sort of I'd never aspired to own one, never aspired to 
think I'm going to actually buy one and do one up myself or anything like that or even giving them much of a second look. I mean, I did enjoy George Anthony's version years ago, the bright yellow one, which had the graphics and the injection hanging through the bonnet. That was pretty Graham wild Wheelie. at the time. But yeah, I got it. That's it. But that white one, like the Steve's, Steve's white one that's on the cover of the latest issue, mate, that thing, that would be the rig of the month for me for that issue. Yep. You know, look, it's just made me look at XBs in a totally different way. And the fact that I like, you know, I, I like that style, I think because it, it's really got a real old school kind of almost a pro street style, which I guess tugs at my heartstrings, being that that's the era I love as well as street machining. Um, you know, there's just something, mate, it's, like I said, it's just changed my total, total interpretation of how cool an XB sedan can be, you know, and that's, that's the thing. It's not that I hated them, they just did nothing for me, but this car... Definitely something about it has just totally changed my outlook on XBs, that's for sure. When I look at it, the thing that is amazing for me, it's, it's the cover shot. It's great. It, have a look at it. It's the carby-fed XB Falcon, small block. I say, I think it's small block, with 15-inch wheels on it. I mean, and that's on the cover. I'm like, hallelujah. I'm like, yep, that's where I'm yeah. That's rock. Yeah. And, the, and the cover shot is actually great. I kind of, as far as covers, I think it's one of my favourite ones. Everything's one of my favourite ones, but it's one of my favourite ones since Granta. Granter was an amazing year. I could talk about it for, for weeks and when he's on the front cover. Could probably both, because we're kind of from that old school, we could probably dedicate an episode to Granter by itself. Um, but yeah, look, definitely, that, that XB sedan, that's changed my look on, on Falcons. And for me, that's probably the standout car. And look, I, I obviously also enjoyed Drag Challenge. I think what Drag, drag Challenge is doing, you know, when you in such a, a short, I guess, few years, Drag Challenge has become such an amazing event. And you've got so many people getting on board with it who are building cars specifically for it. They get together with their mates, have a good time. And, look, as much as I don't want to be a negative Nancy about stuff, like, I get really frustrated with a lot of the negativity. See, just I guess just to let people know, like, you know, you read, you don't do a lot of social media. Like, that's just not your thing. You're, you're That's how old school you are. You don't really delve into that. But, you know, like, on Facebook and a lot of the social media sites, Cars just get slaughtered these days by people, and people get slaughtered by other people with cars, you know. And it's sort of it's it's great to see that the drag challenge it's kind of brought out. It's re I guess it's um reestablished my love of of the car scene in a lot of ways because people are happy to help people out. You know, there was someone would be having problems on the side of the road, and there'd be offers of help, mate. I've got a hoist here, I've got this here, I've got that there, and it's been fantastic to follow that. I think it's just it's been a really fresh injection into the Australian car scene in a lot of ways. And also too, I mean, people always complain, oh, it's not a street machine but you've got cars running sevens and eights which are driven thousands of kilometers. Right. So if that's not a street machine, that's probably doing more they're probably doing more kilometers than a lot of other street machine cars that, you know, have a third of the horsepower. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like per year. So I think definitely I think it's 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 made a lot of the haters have to actually maybe take stock of what what they're saying and and maybe open their eyes to the reality of what's happening. But at the end of the day, the, the entrance and the people attending drag challenge they don't care. They just out there and have a good time and they do it all for themselves. And that's what I think is fantastic. And I just hope the event continues to grow. I mean, I hope it continues to grow over the next few years. I think that'd be fantastic. So, mate, yeah. no, I had a bit of time off over Christmas and I sat down and I. It's, it's like decadence. It's like obesity. It's like the most. I sat down with the drag challenge uh, session of, of the new street machine, looked at every car and just drank it in. It was just like a Christmas present for me. The, the street machine was fat, so it's 244 pages. But I mean, especially the drag challenge section was just outstanding. Definitely. And, and you're right. Definitely. I bought, 
it's, it's kind of like careful what you wish for. Not careful what you wish for, but that's a, an, an app saying that in probably 19, I went to Summonats, Summonats, I went to Summonats probably four years in a row from 1990 to 94 when I was living down that way. Yeah. And I used sure. to enjoy the uh, cardboard fantasy parade. Do you, you remember what that was? Yeah, I remember that. I remember that really well. Yeah. Yep. And make supercharges and make sort of wheelie hubs and uh, wheelie bars and hubs and bits and pieces. And now here, here we are. 20 years later, 25 years later, and it's just come true. <laughs> Everything going around is flying Yeah, but it's drag. a real version, isn't it? Yeah, I yeah. know. Oh, it's excellent. It's like competing to men. And I think Drag Challenge is, is, is like that as well. We're going, you know, for me, the I guess the description of streetcars from my time is like 500 horsepower, 10 second car. You know, that thing was 500 yeah. horsepower. And now it's just these things, seven second cars, and they drive them. I also like that when uh, Damien Chubby Lowe drove his VH, was it, or his V... A ready-coloured one. Right yeah. the WA. That's my nick right yeah. there. That is spot on. I actually see um, yeah. his light colour car. I don't know what's happening with that. It's in the build or is it pulled apart or... Oh, I'm not actually too sure. I haven't seen it for a while but or heard heard about it for a while, but definitely that, um, yeah, the ready-coloured thing was pretty popular and he did do a lot of miles in that and that was such, built to such an, like, an amazing level of detail. You've got to give kudos to someone who's willing to take a vehicle like that and, to, you know, take it on a pretty punishing trip, that's for sure. Yeah, that's right. It's not a, I, I, yeah. I, get, I, I get a giggle out of the Easter egg cars. I call them guys can't take them out in the sun or the wet. I'm like, fuck me, Dad, it's not an Easter egg. It's just in Toronto built in Australia. Like, it's not an Easter egg, mate. <laughs> You'll be right. right. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, speaking, of, speaking of Commodores and speaking of cardboard fantasy, you got anything planned for your VK, like as far as a bit of a project? Seeing you've got some domestic bliss happening at all? <laughs> Definitely. Due to beating the shit out of my VK, and I did beat the shit out of it, anybody, so it's, that's what it's for. I mean, it's yeah. like six yeah. set of tyres on the back, you know. But um, <clears throat> what we're going to do is give it a bit of a change. We're going to put some Group C flares on it. We're going to uh, send the rims down to, to Simmons to have them rebuilt and, and widened up a bit. Yeah, okay, cool. Yeah, we're going to put a drop tank in it, a roll cage, and just go for that rim. Um, 80. Big bang yeah, type of look, is it? Yeah. But I'm not going to paint the whole car. I'm just going to paint the flares and put it on them. And um, if Robert, you're listening, get your tools ready. <laughs> no, but um, definitely going to change up <laughs> without, you know, without going too deep into it. I mean, we've got a couple of spare uh, 308s here, so I figure it doesn't need an LS1 because we've got good stock of 308s in the family sort of thing, and I'd prefer, prefer it anyway. Like I said, I, it's funny because I always wanted a VK with Simmons <laughs> and just the opportunity yeah. to come up and, it's like so, man, it's it's one of the few things that from my era that hasn't just crossed itself out of the markets. You know, they're still out there and still available. But uh, what do you got going on as far as a project, mate? Oh, I've always got my finger in a lot of pies with projects. I mean, but unfortunately, it's, it's not <laughs> it's not just cars. Actually, speaking of 1973, I'm actually restoring a 1973 Tonka Winnebago. It's actually like a Winnebago camper. That's a Tonka, like a Tonka truck, I suppose, but it's like a big camper van. So that's actually a 73 model. Hold on, um, hold on. I understand the word. Hold on. I understood every word. I speak English. <laughs> what? A Tonka? Winnebago. You know, like Winnebago camper vans? Yeah, I know what a Tonka is. So it's a Tonka Winnebago. Yeah, yeah. In 73, Tonka released a Winnebago. Oh, I know. Like, as in a kid's, like, it's like a kid's camp. It's a toy. Like, if we were five, we'd sit on it and I'd push it down the street. It's like, you know, like, kind of like bulky, like a Tonka truck, but it's actually a Winnebago. Yeah, I'll, I'll send you some photos, and you'll see that. And I'll put a couple of photos up on our pages, and it's it's a it's a cool thing. I love it. I love it. I spotted one at Toowoomba Swap a couple of years ago, and have been kind of keeping an eye out. It's amazing how many of them are actually around, like how popular they are. But it's a it's a cool thing. I I just love again. It's the whole yeah. It's just the mix of what you know, loving things as a kid, but 
I guess going on from that, I'm also got a couple of BMXs on the go. I love Madison BMXs, so I'm doing a couple of Madison BMX bike builds at the moment. But probably to actually answer your question, car-wise, my better half, uh, she has an EH Holden sedan that she's owned for 20 years. And uh, like 10 years ago, like well before I was ever on the scene with her, it um, got pretty badly written off. Uh, a, a red light running, unlicensed bloke cleaned her up pretty bad and put her in hospital and all the rest of it. So it did a lot of damage to the car and I'm actually rebuilding that at the moment. So it actually just went off to a panel shop yesterday to have the, the floor pan. It needs to, the floor pan needs to be pulled about an inch on one side. So that's gone off to have a bit of a, bit of a rack, bit of a rack pull, but, um, <laughs> we're hoping to get that on the road kind of by the end of the year. So that's a pretty big project. Like we've got to, um, you know, go through a fair bit of work, like it cracked the engine blocks. I'm going to put another engine in it. And but I guess the reason why we want to save this car is that she loves the car so much. Like she, it is just, you know, it, it's been such a massive part of her life. And it's actually a hot little thing. Like it's got 192 with triple Strombergs and a five speed. And it's got little like fat flares on the back and was running um, 13 by seven inch jelly beans. You know, they're like a Hobbit. seven inch rim, but they've got about, one inch back space and it's all offset. They really look, you know, really cool. And it's got a crushed velvet brown interior. So we're actually restoring it to that to that eighties look, like how it was when she drove it. So um, that's probably the biggest thing on the go. Everything else of mine, like at the moment, it's it's fairly much done. I'm kind of lucky that I've just built cars once, and I learned very early on with building cars that you build them the way you want them from the start, so you don't go back and keep changing things. So all I do now is maybe just tinker with a couple of minor things, like. I've got that red Sturbia panel van, as you know. Um, I just okay. fitted some eight-and-a-half-inch rims to the front of that. So I'm, my next job of that, I'll put some half-inch wheel studs on the front just for a bit of safety. Um, finally, my old days, Valiant Hardtop, I've been having these visions lately of somehow, you know they do like two-inch lowered stub axles? Yeah, your drop spindle. Right. Yeah, yeah. I want to actually do two-inch rays. So I want to somehow, you know, I know they have to be properly, on the properly right, engineered the right and all the rest of it. Can you put the right one on the left and the left one on the right? No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately not. No, I'd actually have to actually move this, move the actual stub itself. Um, so anyway, look, that's just a bit of a pipe dream, crazy thing I've got going in the back of my mind. But apart from that, look, my other six cylinder hardtop that hasn't changed in ten years. If anything, that just probably needs a good detail. Actually, one thing old days does need it still needs to be cleaned from asphalt demons, which is on last year. So all that mud's going to set like concrete. But apart from that, so yeah, you know, few little irons in the fires, but just mainly stuff you get as as time goes on. But definitely the main focus at the moment is is the EH project. So you know, look, the HR front end was bent in the crash, so um, we got hold of another one. I'm just at the moment, I'm just piecing the two together to make one good one. We'll be doing a full, like a full. I guess, dry run assembly of the car just to make sure everything's going to line up and, and be okay as far as, you know, post-crash, like we've got a new subframe for it. So I basically want to dummy assemble the car, then we'll pull it all down, paint everything properly, rebuild the front end with bushes and all the other good stuff. So at the moment, we're just in the, the planning stages to fix it from all the accident damage, and then we'll get that hopefully back on the, back on the street. So I'm, I'm really looking forward you to that. To so, yeah. From the streetcar, guys, we, we'd like to see a technical issue, uh, like an article on that. If you could put together a few thoughts and some technical stuff on it as far as working with your wife on a streetcar. Yeah, well, you know, she's actually pretty cool. Like, she's, she's a pretty dab hand with tools and that sort of stuff, and it makes life easy because I kind of get in trouble if I don't work on her car, which is just unheard of. So it's, you know, we work well together. 
on on cars, and it, honestly, it just makes life so much easier. Let's be. <laughs> I'm pretty lucky. I know how lucky I am because she's happy and she'll drive all my cars, and she loves and she knows how to steer, and it's all good. So um, yeah, that's that's kind of the main project she's one at the moment. Time. But she's listening right now. She's standing behind, isn't she? <laughs> no, actually, she's not, but I'm sure she will be at some stage. So hopefully it gets me some serious brownie points, but <laughs> we'll see how we go. Hey, what, when we talk, and I think the word gets used a bit more. I don't use the word or the, the genre street, uh, beg your pardon, old school. I just use streetcar. It's just an absolute streetcar. What do you think of the Toronto that won the Dino Challenge at the summer Mate, this year? Did yeah. you have a chance to look at Definitely. You know, the fact it's got flares, the fact it's got a supercharger, big wheels. Yeah, it, it's, it just, I just, again, like I said, it just, it really harks back to what I loved as a kid, you know, growing up. There was that amazing, um, I can't remember the guy's name to, who built it, unfortunately, sorry, but there was a fantastic Barbados green LX Tirana four-door that was big in the 80s with uh, centerline auto drags and it was featured in Street Machine, a couple of guys. I think the place for XPT 350. Oh, yeah, um, from Orange New South Wales, yeah. Yeah, that car was yeah. a big influence. Yep. I love that. Still my favourite Toronto colour to this day. And, of course, Howard Bell's like SLR 8000. But, you know, they're both fantastic cars. So, um, you know, I, I, I kind of see that car that won the horsepower thing. I'm, I'm just, like, glad it's kind of showing that as much as turbos are fantastic and being great power, I just love that whole old-school diehard street machine thing still alive and kicking. I think it's fantastic. Well, Blowing car won um, drag challenge in the states this week, this year, last year. A blown car yeah, won. Yeah, that's the right. Corvette, whatever. So I think that's um, that's some yeah. with the one the Dino challenge as well. Well, mate, looking forward to next episode. Uh, we're probably going to tackle 986, which may be a bit of a worry because we were probably both just you know entering puberty at that time, being 13. So I'm not really sure if it's somewhere we want to go back to, but hopefully it's um, something we can definitely tackle with, with bravery, mate. It's probably the way to do it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's fine. 1986 actually is Who Made Who by Akadaka, isn't it? Yeah, it is. I know. I've got the album on the wall. Oh, fantastic. And that's how, how good that for a song? That intro to it is just so good. So that, like, yeah, it's yeah, actually it's, it's a bit unusual. It's got a drum intro. If you listen to it, it's got like the drum beat intro instead of the guitar. It's good. Yeah, yeah. No, that's definitely the guy. And it was a massive year for, for the car scene in Australia too. Like 1986 was a turning point and it's probably one of the years closest to my heart as well. So um, we'll tackle on to that. So, folks, that wraps up episode one of Thong Slappers. Um, should you have any commentary, want to feed us any negative, maybe even a positive as well, you can find us on Facebook at The Thong Slappers. You can also follow us on Instagram at The Thong Slappers, funnily enough. Or otherwise, if death by social media isn't your chosen form, you can email us at thongslappers at optusnet.com.au. So thanks, Red. I look forward to speaking to you about 986. So get your mullet ready, mate. I think 86 killed the six on the Alden, didn't it? Well, I guess it would have been close. Yeah, VL. Yeah, well, there you go. Mate, it's getting controversial already. We haven't even recorded it. The old man won't be happy about that. (laughs) All right. We'll see you guys soon. Thank you.